Welcome to Tax Break, a podcast on the tax law brought to you by Miller & Chevalier. I'm Steve Dixon, a tax litigator with Miller & Chevalier. As usual, I'm joined by my colleague, international tax and tax policy expert, Lauren Pons. And today we have with us another colleague joining us, uh, tax legislation and policy specialist, Jorge Castro. So today we're going to discuss some elements of the congressional relief that's been passed in response to the coronavirus, and in particular, some of the elements of the CARES Act, which is the sole provision that has business tax uh, provisions in it. Uh, so as we've said before, the idea behind Tax Break is to provide our listeners with some perspective on select tax issues that we think are interesting. We want to go deeper than what's in the tax press, but stay sufficiently high level so our listeners can follow along without a copy of the regs, or in this case, the final public law in front of you. And as always, uh, for, we'll start with a disclaimer. Tax break is not intended to be legal advice, and you cannot rely on it as legal advice. Its content reflects only the thoughts and opinions of its hosts or guests. So Jorge, I want to start by going back in time to sort of days before the virus and the pandemic. Uh, and what did it look like? I mean, let's talk about the legislative climate for tax changes before uh, the pandemic hit. What did, what did 2020 look like? What were the prospects for legislative change? Um, so first, you know, first let me say thank you very much to the both of you for having me here. I'm, I'm honored to be uh, uh, on your podcast. Um, so to answer your, your question, Steve, um, so I think just judging on how 2019 transpired, the outlook for 2020 pre-COVID-19 was pretty limited. Um, I think that at best, we were looking at perhaps one legislative vehicle um, that could include tax provisions um, sometime towards the end of the year, um, as you know, as um, the political landscape obviously is uh, very active right now and um, with the lead up to the November elections. Um, but, but so pre-COVID, um, I think that was going to consume a lot of the oxygen in the tax policy making world. Um, so the opportunities um, were, were not going to be many, uh, but obviously that has all changed and um, that's, that's been turned upside down. And, and Lauren, what, was there any reason to, change, to expect any changes or, or fixes to some of the TCJA provisions that changed the landscape so dramatically for, for taxpayers in, in 2020? And if so, what, what did taxpayers really want? What were they hoping for? Um, I think the hope was that there would be some space for TCJA modifications, but um, the prospect, to echo what Jorge said, was, was pretty limited. It's an election year. Uh, the changes around TCJA thus far have been rather contentious um, with the, the uh, Democrats generally saying that we didn't get to participate in the formulation of the bill, so we are not really in a position to discuss any kind of uh, technical corrections or further modifications to provisions that were enacted in TCJA. Um, we will get into some of the provisions of CARES in a little while, but we did see that one technical correction with respect to TCJA did make it into, into the um, Coronavirus Relief Act. So, because um, the landscape has totally shifted, there may be room going forward. But before, um, there was, I would say, little hope of, of getting any kind of TCJA modification or, or even technical correction. And obviously, all this 
changed dramatically when when uh, lockdown started and, and the pandemic began. So Jorge, when when something, if you could talk a little bit based on your background, so when something like this happens, obviously this is unprecedented, but we do have disasters and other economic crises. What are some of the avenues that are available for Congress in in coming up with ways to facilitate economic activity through the tax code? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, in, in this scenario, while it's obviously the scope of the pandemic is pretty broad and the economic impact is unprecedented, um, I think, you know, past its prologue, right? I think Congress looks to past packages that they've enacted going back to Hurricane Katrina, to the, to the Recovery Act, or back to the 2008 um, TARP bill that um, during the 2008 um, uh, economic recession. Um, so I think Congress, I think how it starts is, is it tries, looks at past provisions in the tax code that were effective, right? And you've seen some of those provisions come back. Now, obviously they've, you know, this pandemic and the economic impact is um, is as broad and significant and likely going to be very lengthy. So um, I would say looking at past provisions, but also dialing up um, the the whether it's refundability or 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 the or the uh, speed by which tax relief could be granted. Um, you know, I will say I think right now the number one rule for Congress, you know, when they enact tax legislation um, to combat the, the the impact of the pandemic, um, is is how do you inject cash into employers, individuals as fast as possible, right? How do you increase liquidity? Right, which is a significant challenge right now, right? Whether to the tax code or outside the tax code, that's that's the primary rule. And if you can make a convincing case to Congress that that a sector that's impacted um, can get significant relief fast and 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 quickly, um, I think that's um, that's uh, that's that that carries uh, a premium uh, in, in in making those arguments in Congress. So. You know, I think you 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 look at whether it's the ability to to amend past tax returns to get to to get refunds for tax years, uh, whether you make tax credits refundable, uh, whether you in, increase the deductibility of certain uh, provisions. I think those are the avenues by which Congress, um, you know, or I would say that's that's the prism typically and the levers that that's that's typically available. And do you think that, I mean, is this, is this basic principle of, of liquidity or getting cash into the economy, is that something that both parties try to use as, as leverage and hammering out what, what relief they'll make available? I think that's right. I think, you know, um, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, both, are, both parties clearly have different, um, um, you know, different constituencies, but also have have um, you know different approaches by which which sectors are the most impacted, right? Whether it's particular business sectors, whether it's particular um, individual family-oriented tax provisions, right? Um, and you're seeing some of that right now play out, right? I think now you know the first four bills have act, have gone uh, have passed pretty quickly. The fifth bill, which is currently being considered or or about to be considered, um, you're 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 seeing that dynamic play out, right? Which are the most impacted um, uh, sectors of the economy? Um, how do you kind of get um, liquidity and, 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 and relief as, as, as quickly as possible?
And so you, you mentioned you mentioned four bills. So uh, I'm sorry, Lauren, go ahead. No, that's okay. I was just going to ask or make the observation rather that really the the shape of any provision depends on lawmakers' view of whether it's more um, efficient to offer inject liquidity at the business level or at the individual level, right? So that's the split that we see. Um, generally, the the concept is okay, if we, we make these business provisions um, more, more friendly so you can accelerate deductions or have refundable business credits, that will kind of work its way into the employees of that business um, or allow the business to reinvest in the economy directly, which will help people who are employed. Whereas other views are maybe it's better to offer refundable credits directly to individuals, uh, send out stimulus checks, those sorts of things to jumpstart the economy and also help people who may be um, negative impact, negatively impacted such that they've lost their jobs. And, and I guess just one thing I would add, you know, to, you know, I agree with everything that Lauren has said. And I think it's one thing to add is that, you know, typically, right, when Congress acts in their normal times, right, they're typically revenue restraints, right? There's a budget cost that, that's attached. Um, you know, and, and so far that has not been, a, that has not limited um, Congress's scope and, 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 and how they've uh, enacted tax, tax proposals, right? So I think right now, I think, you know, I think, I mean, the, 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 uh, the first question is, are you an impacted party? Are you an impacted sector, right? And then the second question becomes, well, if we enact X provision, um, how quickly would that relief reach, reach the hands of those who need it most? So do you think the deficit is going to continue to be a concern or does it really depend on how long this pandemic lasts and, and whether or not, you know, we have to kind of abandon prior, prior considerations around deficit? You know, I, that's, that's, I think, the million dollar question, right, Lauren? And, um, but I think, you know, I, I do think right, you know, right now. It's probably, it's probably, it's probably trillion. Right. <laughs> That's right. Trillion dollar question. <laughs> yeah, trillion dollar question. You know, I think right now I, there seems to be very limited consideration, right? Those, those, um, those uh, groups in Congress that would typically carry be, you know, that would be the budget hawks, right? On 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 both parties, um, they're pretty silent right now. Um, and, you know, but at some point, right, I think someone's going to have to pay attention, well, what's the deficit, right? And I've seen a few, um, you know, groups in the private sector, um, typically, um, you know, more along kind of um, the financial economic um, um, groups that, that I think that have started kind of trying to raise the flag, but I think so far it's falling kind of on, on uh, on deaf ears, and I think you know the argument is obviously is that is that you know right now um, we're still kind of uh, e e economically not hit bottom yet, um, and I think that we're still kind of entering what could be a recession, depression, and I think we, we have to kind of pull any any lever that we can, whether it's a tax code or or or, or, or through uh, lending programs, and I think that's that's gonna I think gonna be the the main topic for a while. And is, is the deficit the reason why there's been a cap on the PPP funds so far, the Paycheck Protection Plan program <laughs> funds? I know that, I mean, I know that's the, that's, that's been, that's been the, the criticism of that, that program is that putting a ceiling on the funds is actually 
caused a bunch of businesses that could actually use the help to, to not get it. So, you know, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I, I guess, it, it, yes, that, that probably is a way to kind of have a check on the program, right? So that those, um, those businesses that, that, per, per, that, that could be perhaps less deserving, right? And then we've seen what the news has looked like lately around the PPP program. Um, we know to, to kind of have a bit of a check on, on SBA, which is administering the program, um, you know, so, so it's not just kind of an open checkbook, right? right. Um, you know, so the latest bill um, more than doubled the, the, the lending limit uh, by 321 billion. Um, so, you know, I suspect that's gonna continue, a trend that's gonna continue, but I, I don't see that's gonna be just as an open checkbook. Right. Well, let's move and talk about the act that I think is in our sphere, or at least in our, hopefully in our listeners' sphere the most, which is the, the CARES Act, which is the, the act that actually has the business-related provisions. Um, and I think we'll talk about a, a few of the, the provisions here. Uh, if we could start, I'd like to start with the employee retention credit. So Jorge, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that works and, and what's going on with it currently. Sure. Um, so, you know, the employee retention credit, um, which is one of the, the key tax provisions in the CARES Act, um, essentially is a refundable payroll tax credit um, for 50% of wages um, paid to employees during, during this pandemic, um, up to 10,000 wages. Um, essentially, that's it, right? So it's, 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 it's um, Congress's way of trying to provide a tax incentive to, to employers to retain their employees uh, and, and, and keep them on the payroll. Um, you know, this, this provision, I, I think, is one of the more expensive provisions in tax provisions in the, in the CARES Act. It's about 54 Five billion um, dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, revenue score within the 10-year budget window. Um, so it's pretty robust, and it's and it's um, one of the, you know, obviously it's become one of the more popular provisions. And I guess there's been some uh, some concerns raised about the interaction between that that credit and taking deductions, right? Lauren, maybe you could update us on sort of what's the, what's the back and forth been on, on that element of the credit. Oh, there's been a lot of back and forth. So uh, <laughs> the service came out with uh, a notice, I guess about a week ago, um, and said that, hey, you know, under um, the, well, I think the, the PPP and the business deductions are what's, what are related. So right. um, if you have, receive funds under the Paycheck Protection Program, there is a provision that allows that loan, those loan proceeds to be forgiven, and they will not be uh, included in income, which is contrary to the general tax principle that forgiveness of indebtedness equals income. Fine. Um, and so last week, the service came out with a notice and said, because of this uh, forgiveness feature, we're going to deny um, ordinary and necessary business expense deductions to the extent that your loan is forgiven. Um, and, and Congress uh, came back, there was a letter, bipartisan letter, that was written um, by the chairs of uh, finance and ways and means and joined uh, by Wyden, I believe, that said, hey, you know, this is contrary to our, our congressional intent. We in fact meant for taxpayers who take advantage of the PPP 
to also get the benefit of being able to take deductions. So it's kind of a twofold uh, benefit, which is, you know, admittedly contrary to general tax principles, but uh, it was it was meant that it be that way. So you get a deduction and you get um, no income inclusion. Um, and so they, in fact, they wrote the bill or wrote the letter on the 5th of, of May this week and then introduced a bill on the 6th that said the same thing, essentially, that um, overrode the, the notice and said you do get to take these deductions as well as have the loan forgiven if you if you meet the qualifications for forgiveness. And, tr and hasn't there been indication from Treasury that they're that they're likely to sort of retract the notice or or yes. go along with this congressional guidance? You're, you're psychic. You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so yesterday, uh, Treasury wrote back, wrote another letter, um, and said, "Hey, you know what? We're we're gonna we're gonna look at this um, again." We they didn't promise uh, that they would give the relief that that the congressmen are seeking, but they did say they're going to take another look at it, that they're taking the letter under advisement, so to speak. Um, and we'll see where, where they end up with them. And this fast moving back and forth hasn't just been restricted to the PPP, right? There's also some, um, some issues with respect to the employee retention credit, right? And, and Congress has uh, come out and, and expanded the notion of what counts as, I think it's health plan expenses. Jorge, do you know a little bit about this? Yeah, that's right. I think it's, um, you know, I think at first when the CARES Act uh, was enacted, right, the understanding was that healthcare expenses were, were going to be included um, in the wage base. Um, and then by way of FAQs, um, IRS and Treasury seem to take the opposite view, right? So that kind of had practitioners and, um, and employers scrambling. Um, so that's another question. That's another area where Congress is looking to legislate and communicate to the IRS that no, 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 our intent was to include um, healthcare expenses um, for, for purposes of the, of the retention credit, right? And that's another dynamic where you're seeing, you know, Secretary of Treasury and the IRS commissioner kind of have a back and forth with policymakers, right? And, you know, it's, it, I think it's, you know, it's, it's um, to me, it's, 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 you know, as, as, um, as more of these gaps develop between Treasury and IRS, and Congress, right, you're going to see mounting pressure on Congress to legislate again, right? And right. I think that's the dynamic that's, that's, that's likely going to occur. Um, right. You know, but also, it's, I think it's also kind of a doing of, you know, when you, you know, obviously Congress was right in acting quickly and legislating fast, but when that happens, right, to this degree, you're, you're, you're going to see gaps and, and, and different interpretations from, from key policymakers. Um, well, and this and is, yeah, and what's unique, what's unique here is that because of the compressed timeline and the urgency of what's happening, we're seeing that uh, sort of administrative, you know, the executive branch back and forth with the legislative branch, but it's happening sort of rather than it might happen through back channels in typical times. Now it's just sort of happening publicly with letters going between Congress and, and Treasury. Well, I think, you know, I guess one thing to add to that is that um, that, you know, unfortunately, who's stuck in the middle are, uh, is obviously taxpayers, right? Right. Uh, taxpayers and the, um, and the employees who would be the ultimate, I mean, beneficiaries, right? You know, what are they supposed to rely on, right? Um, you know, they can't just rely on a congressional letter necessarily or an FAQ even, right? That's, I know that's, that's I may, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but it's something that, that we're, we're going to talk about, but 
you know, at the end of the day, an FAQ, um, you know, doesn't always give certainty to an employer, right, under normal times. But obviously, that's all we, that's all they have, right? And us as practitioners, um, that's all we have. But I think to me, that kind of underscores kind of that issue and that question mark, right? What are, what are employers and practitioners supposed to rely on? But I just want to, so maybe this puts, um, I would say, undue pressure or excessive pressure on the service because there's also no uh, committee report or conference report, right? So this goes to the speed and they're in the position of having to interpret given, you know, for example, the business deductions, they go on principles of exempt income that one would normally see in the charitable space to come to the conclusion that these deductions shouldn't be allowed. And absent, you know, any kind of writing that is contemporaneous with the bill actually passing, i.e. a committee report or a conference report, they don't, you know, they just have the law to go on, the existing law. Um, so, you know, I, I, it is a tough position to be in. And then to your point, Steve, we have the letters flying back and forth. Um, and so we see the, the softening of the position with healthcare expenses uh, being treated as qualifying wages, reconsideration, reconsideration of the business expense deduction, the availability of those deductions. Um, and it is kind of an evolving landscape, even though they're moving yeah. forward. <laughs> yeah, and it will, be, it will be interesting. I mean, so FAQs obviously aren't, authoritative interpretations of of the statute by by the IRS and they are not meant to act like uh, it's it's not meant to in, act like have the force of law right it's just an FAQ um, but I do wonder whether there is an effect that these sort of accumulated FAQs and their subsequent retraction after Congress saying, no, you didn't actually understand what we intended here, we intended something else. Um, I, I wonder if that's a, it, I wonder if there's a cumulative effect on <laughs> the credibility of the IRS when they say this is the definitive interpretation in other guidance, right, in, in rulings and notices and, and other sub-regulatory guidance, whether they, whether there's a, uh, you know, an erosion there about what Congress intended. Now, obviously, this is an exceptional circumstance, and the the lack of legislative history that you pointed out, Lauren, is is a very different factor. But it is, but it's likely to continue. I don't think in the next bill there will be much in the way of legislative history either. Um, so it'll be relevant for this set of of guidance for sure, um, meaning coronavirus related um, relief. Right. You know, but 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 a uh, but a good point is raised, right? That kind of you know what happens to the, I guess shall we call it reliability of the FAQ, right? I think it's as you pointed out, Steve. It's I think it's um. The more often the IRS retreats from its initial FAQ position, right? What happens? You know, um, um, you know what what impact does does it have? And I think you could see that come to a head. You know. Um, over time that a taxpayer that takes a position opposite of the FAQ, right, could certainly make the argument that um, that FAQ wasn't necessarily what Congress intended um, in the statute. And I think, in, and then here, let us refer you to the 20 times the FAQs, I mean, were amended by the service, right? 
Um, so I think that's, that kind of goes to kind of what are, what are employers and businesses supposed to rely on? That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's certainly the case that if you have later disputes about the CARES Act in particular, and there's a history of the IRS getting it wrong, right, um, that that's the kind of argument you could see in the future. Um, let's move on and talk about the NOL provisions in, in, the, uh, in the CARES Act. And, and Lauren, maybe you could just give us a little background on, on what happened with NOLs in, in TCJA and how, how the CARES Act aims to, to, to amend that. Sure. So um, in TCJA, carry back of, of NOLs was abolished. Um, and carry forward uh, NOL relief, the deduction for NOLs would be limited to 80% of your um, taxable income. So no carry back and there was a limit as to how much you could um, roll over into forward years. Um, and to um, Jorge's point about injecting liquidity into the market, CARES Act said, hey, you know what? We're going to allow NOL carry back to 18, 19, and 20 for losses that are um, incurred this year because of coronavirus. So there is the carryback, and they also um, delayed the implementation of the 80% cap on carry forward until 2021. So um, you can take all of your, your NOLs all the way back um, to 18 if, if you are so inclined. And the, and the cutoff, I take it the cutoff there is driven by the rate differential with TCJA that. Well, the rate differential and also the implementation of the NOL rules, the harsher NOL rules. So those came into being in TCJA for tax years beginning on or after, um, I guess, December 22nd, I believe is uh, when the bill passed. So generally forward. Um, and and that's, so the, that's the 80% limitation. It's eighty percent limitation for carry forward and the the um, abolishment, of, abolishment of being able to carry back. So um, it's kind of dovetailing with the the online the the harsher rules coming online uh, within TCJ context. So um, those are the modifications to to those provisions in care. So it allows carry back, and then the idea is that carrying back an NOL to eighteen or nineteen. Um, already filed your return would give you less taxable income so you're subject to a refund and then taxpayers can take advantage of the quickie refund procedure to get the money faster. Um, so. Okay and um, should we talk at all about the 163J changes that that happen in the CARES Act as well? Yeah yeah so those are uh, similar concept um, TCJA had made some modifications, significant modifications to 163J, and taxpayers are limited to, um, broadly speaking, deductibility of interest expense, that's 50% of their adjusted taxable income, or 30%, I'm sorry, of their adjusted taxable income, and then um, the CARES Act increased that limitation to 50%, so. Again, another business-friendly, but a, a, a cash flow uh, right. liquidity type change. Yep, Interesting. Yep. Um, and one, one other provision I want to mention, just because it's near and dear to uh, both to both me and, and Jorge, is the suspension of the aviation excise taxes. Uh, Jorge, you want to mention what, what, what the CARES Act did in that, re that regard? 
Sure. Um, so yeah, so I think, I mean, just I mean, going back to Congress's principle of trying to assist most impacted sectors, obviously the aviation sector, right, primarily the airline sector, um, are taking a significant hit economically right now, right? That we, we, we've all read kind of the, the stories and kind of um, in the significant reduction um, of flights that, that are occurring. Um, so essentially the CARES Act suspends for this year from the enactment of the CARES Act at the end of March through the end of this 2020 calendar year. Um, it suspends the air transportation federal excise tax, the seven and a half percent ticket tax essentially on commercial aviation. Um, within that, you also suspend the 4.3%, I'm sorry, the 4.3 cent fuel tax as well. Um, so um, so that's, that's, that's the main gist of it. And I think it's to provide relief um, for the sector that, that's being impacted. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, the one, something that was slightly confusing when it was first enacted, but I think joint committees come out and the IRS has come out and, and straightened this out, which is that it's, a, it's something that uh, applies to amounts actually paid during the, right. the excise tax period. So theoretically, if you are sure you're going somewhere in 2021, you want to buy the ticket now, go ahead, you get a 7.5% discount. <laughs> that's right. And that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's obviously, that, that follows the intent of Congress, right? Trying to, trying to spur economic activity again in the sector. Um, and then, uh, so looking ahead, what can we expect in terms of further business tax changes um, that, would, that would come out of this, this crisis and, and the legislation in the wake of the crisis? Who's going to start? Go ahead. Whoever <laughs> would like to. Okay. Um, I, you know, international provisions are, are near and dear to my heart. So yes. I would like to see some modifications of... Um, Section 250 for the city deduction, the interaction with the NOL, provisions of CARES. Um, there is a taxable income limitation in Section 250, which directly impacts the amount of your city uh, deduction that's available to you. So that would be nice to have um, some some um, modifications so that those those provisions match up a little bit better. Um, and the same in the context of 59 CAFE. So um, there is a base erosion percentage of your NOLs um, that is, is figures into your modified taxable income calculation. And, you know, if the congressional intent was, and it, and it was, uh, <laughs> to, to afford uh, taxpayers a refund, you know, if, you, if the result of you carrying back NOLs to years in which you had no beat liability in fact, results in you having beat liability, the congressional intent has been frustrated. So it would be nice to see some kind of modification to 59 CAFE. And it doesn't have to be, you know, forever, but at least for the years in which the CARES Act modifications are in play, some modification to those, the 59 CAFE rules, such that taking advantage of an NOL um, won't throw you into, into beat liability territory. And Jorge, what 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 do you see on the the front? What do you what do you think is going to come out of the next set of changes? Um, I think it's you know I think yeah I'll talk about a few provisions, but I think it's going to be a broad provision again, right? It's going to be fairly large, um, um, but I think you know you could see obviously I think they're going to start with 
um, what changes do you make to the CARES Act to, to make the CARES Act tax provision I mean, more effective, right? And, and obviously, I mean, Lauren has hinted at the interaction between um, the CARES Act tax provisions and the international provisions, um, which are important. Um, you know, you're already going to see activity around the tax, um, uh, tax issues around the PPP loan program, right, which we, we, that we've talked about. Um, also around the retention credit as well, right, expanding the retention credit. Um, whether it's, you know, a higher um, wage limit um, and make that more robust, um, that's, that's going to be on the table. And, and, you're, and you've already seen kind of bipartisan action in Congress around the retention credit. Um, so I suspect that's going to be a prime candidate um, for, 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 for the fifth round, which I'll call it. Um, also, um, you know, there's continues to be talk about a payroll tax cut uh, led by the president. Um, he's, he's obviously trumpeting that issue. Um, there's also talk about um, additional, you know, whether we call it, I mean, rebates or or a stimulus checks. Um, more of that, and, and and the and the proposal is kind of a, a, a run the spectrum. Um, you know, also so you know, increasing the earned income tax credit, child tax credit, uh, expanding the the charitable tax provisions in the CARES Act as well. Um, that's going to be on the table. So. It's going to be pretty broad. I think it's um, every indication from the House or, or um, in Congress um, is that they're going to try to start kind of uh, considering a bill, a major bill that's supposed to be in the trillions again um, uh, next week, as early as next week. So um, as, as, as folks know, it's the Senate's currently at a session now. House will come back next week um, and the House is going to think take the lead on the bill. Um, and, and I think it's going to, whatever they put out, I think it's going to set the marker. Obviously, they're going to have to negotiate with, 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 with the White House and with the Senate, but I think it's, it, 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 it can lay the groundwork and set the marker for what the next bill looks like. Great. And just for our listeners' benefit, it's May 8th today we're recording it. So next week is the, the week beginning, beginning the 11th. So, um, well, thank you both. I think this was really interesting and informative. Uh, uh, as always, listeners, if you have questions or suggestions for future podcasts, you can send us an email at podcasts at milchev.com. That's podcasts, plural, at M-I-L-C-H-E-V.com. Lauren, thank you as always. Jorge, it was wonderful to have you on today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.